0: You're listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church at Tuscaloosa. Our prayer is that this encourages you in the Lord. Well, if you have your Bible, if you'd go ahead and open it up to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Aren't you glad this morning that regardless of how many people are sick or how technology fails us, because evidently our projector has... Covid too, Um, and just different things happen. Um, I'm sure you all have some stories of things that have happened to you. Just even this week, Um, that that the main event of God's people gathering together is opening His Word, and then the fact that we're together. Um, Nothing can really hinder that, Um, as, as long as there's a group of people who are committed to open His Word and gather together. The bells and whistles that we appreciate and enjoy every week are really just extra. And God can use them and they're beneficial. But the main thing that we need, God has provided for us in His Word and in one another. Augustine said, Where Scripture speaks, God speaks. I thought it would be good, and we will probably do this at the beginning of every book that we start, um, to just remind you of a few things as, as far as our conviction and belief here at Covenant Church in regards to the Bible. We believe at Covenant Church that where God speaks, we must speak. We believe that God speaks through His written Word and that we must speak from that Word. We believe that the Bible is God-breathed, it's authoritative, inerrant, sufficient, understandable, necessary, and timeless. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, we see God's mission as one of making worshipers of Jesus Christ from every tribe, tongue, and nation worked out through the preaching and the teaching of Scripture. And and to that end here at Covenant Church, we preach the Word, and we preach all of it. And so we begin another journey, verse by verse, through, I I, I don't know the count, um, but another book of the Bible. And and before we start these books, we typically answer a few questions uh, around context and authorship, and maybe even the question of of why would we even study this book, and we're going to do that first, but before we do, I want to ask... For God's help as we open his word today so let's pray Father we thank you for your faithfulness we thank you for your word we thank you that not one event of today or yesterday or one event tomorrow will catch you off guard that every person is here that you desire to be here that your providence will play out and the beautiful truth that you are sovereign is a place for us to rest and to find confidence and hope and comfort and so Lord as we open Ephesians this morning I pray that you would speak to us This, this short letter takes us to what I believe is the mountaintops of understanding the gospel I thank you for it we certainly need your help in studying it I need your help in teaching it and so Father we ask you to come now and minister to your people it's in Christ's name Amen so a fair question is why study Ephesians now now there are some obvious answers to that, one because it's God's Word and, and all of those, yes, that's true. But I want to give you three reasons that I believe it's vitally important for every Christian, not just Covenant Church, every Christian to study Ephesians. First is this, Ephesians increases our understanding of the Gospel. And so uh, un- unfortunately we live in a day where there is much superficial Christianity. The shallow teaching is rampant. But when you get to Ephesians and if a, if a preacher or teacher dares to tackle Ephesians, then uh, it leaves you with no choice other than to just jump in and to know you're going to be in some deep waters, some, some, some deep waters of the gospel, some deep spiritual truths that are unavoidable in this short letter. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, if you want to turn there, if you have your Bible open, Ephesians 3, verse 8, listen to what Paul says. He says, To me, though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given, listen, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so Ephesians increases our understanding of the gospel. And friends, we don't ever want to Lose the beauty of the most basic fundamental truths of the gospel that a six year old can understand. But I also don't want us to be annoyed by growing in our understanding of the gospel. I don't want us to avoid that. I don't want us to be fearful of learning more and more and more of the gospel because that is part of God's design in growing us in the truth. Of who he is and what he has done. And Ephesians is a place that we will have an increase of our understanding of the gospel. Second, why study of Ephesians? Ephesians highlights the church. In the book of Ephesians, we read how the church is central to God's eternal purposes. Through the church, God has chosen to make known. Look at chapter 3, verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Can can, can you think of it? Maybe you've never thought of the purpose of the church. You might would say, well, to bring glory to God. Well, absolutely. But but one of the primary purposes of the church is revealed here to us is not only to bring glory to God, but for us to show the manifold wisdom of God and, and to make the manifold wisdom of God known to the world. Ephesians will highlight how the church of Jesus Christ is to do that. So first, Ephesians increases our understanding of the gospel. Second, Ephesians highlights the church. Third, Ephesians provides the truth we need to live as Christians. Now you might have noticed, Zach, if you want to throw the logo up there for Ephesians, our, our sort of theme phrase, and, and it's, it, it, there's really nothing new under the sun, and we're not trying to rip Aleister Begg here. Well, it's a, there we go, truth for life. Truth for Life. If you're familiar with Aleister Begg, you know his ministry is called Truth for Life. But honestly as, as I sort of pondered Ephesians I couldn't really think of a better way to describe Ephesians where the first three chapters are again we're going to be wading in the, just these deep waters of spiritual realities and truths that are difficult for us to grasp. But we'll have an increased understanding of the gospel. We'll begin to understand more of what it means for us to be the church and how we became the church. But chapters four through 6 show us how that truth is meant to impact our lives. And so you see the deep truths, but you're not just left with the deep truth. You see how that deep truth compels us and pushes us to live the life that the Lord has called us to live. And, And so in Ephesians, Paul conveys his pastoral heart for the Ephesian believers by writing this letter that focuses them on Christ focuses them on who they are in Christ and how they are now to live in light of this new identity. So if you're a note taker, just to be sure you have them, and I know they've been up there the whole time. Why study Ephesians? It increases our understanding of the gospel. It highlights the church. Third, it provides the truth we need to live as Christians. Now, Paul has, has sort of a pattern in all of his letters, and his pattern is this. First is authorship, then recipients, then greeting. So if you look with me in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, you see that exact thing. You see him claiming to be the author, you see who the recipients are, and then you also see a formal greeting. Look at verse 1 of chapter 1 of Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus... And are faithful in Christ Jesus. Verse two, here's the greeting Grace to you, and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, first is the author, Paul introduces himself as the author of this letter. Now, if you did any extra study, you, and, and really, I, there are just very few books of the Bible, and some of you that have done, had seminary training or done more extensive study, then, then you know that authorship is questioned in almost every book at this point. Um, and, and there were many, many years that went by to where the authorship of Ephesians wasn't questioned until about the 18th century, then it started to be questioned. Uh, if, if, if you've seen some of those questions around if Paul's the author or not, uh, I, you know, I encourage you to chase those out, but I really feel like you'll land where the vast majority of people who are faithful to Scripture land, and that is that Paul is in fact the author of, of this letter. And, and, and so the author, is, is, as we see it, is Paul. But I want to remind you some things about Paul. Paul formerly was a persecutor of the church, if you remember in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus and on that road he was going to kill Christians. Paul got up every day with a mission and it was to destroy those who professed the resurrected Jesus Christ. And so Paul, a former persecutor of the church, has now been made an apostle to the Gentiles. And if you remember in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15, Paul attributes this apostleship to the grace of God. And this former murderer of Christians will go on. He goes on to write thirteen letters in the New Testament. But he is an apostle of Jesus Christ as he introduces himself there in, in verse one, and that is it means this. We've covered this extensively over the last few months, but but just a reminder an apostle means that his authority came from Jesus Christ. And so Paul, on the road to Damascus in Acts 9, go back and read that, he is commissioned by Jesus Christ himself. But, but not only is he an apostle of Jesus Christ, if you notice, he says an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So, so an apostle by God's will. And as we'll see throughout Ephesians, God's will is an important theme in the letter of Ephesians, which it, it simply emphasizes God's purposes but Paul sees his apostleship not of his own choosing. In fact, I have Galatians one fifteen and 16 up there. I thought you might find this interesting. It says, but when he who had set me apart, this is Paul speaking, speaking of Jesus. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And so you might wonder, well, why does Paul use the language that he uses? I mean, it's not, it doesn't make you scratch your head that he says he's an apostle of Christ Jesus, but it might make you scratch your head as to why he says, by the will of God. It's because Paul understood that the reason that he is where he is and he is who he is was not because of his own will. His own will had him on the road to kill Christians but the Lord's will said otherwise. And so it was, it's by God's will. And that's what he expresses there to the Galatians that this was God's will. I mean, before I was born, he set me apart. And in that particular time and space on the road to Damascus, he called me by his grace and was pleased to reveal his son to me. Paul didn't figure out that this Jesus thing was real. God was pleased to reveal himself to Paul on that road. So, so again, it, it's important to understand how Paul is introducing himself. And to sum it up, it's this way. God has me here. It's his will. And for Paul to say that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ, it means his friends, and this is vitally important. It means that Paul's words are Jesus' words, when Paul speaks, Christ speaks. That's why apostleship is so important. And so, for, from where is Paul writing? Well, three times in the letter: Ephesians three one, Ephesians four one, Ephesians six twenty. Paul mentions his imprisonment. It seems that Paul wrote this letter near the end of a two year imprisonment in Rome about the same time as Colossians and Philemon. So if you want to know when it was written, we think approximately AD 62. Something you may have heard but still worth mentioning just just to paint the picture when Paul was in prison in Rome, the vast majority of the time he was chained to a Roman soldier. So again, like just just to think on this, like like he's not in his happy place on a sabbatical with umbrella drinks in a hammock writing. That's not what's happening. He's not in Gatlinburg looking at the beautiful view roasting marshmallows while he's just free to write. He's chained to a Roman soldier and he believes he's called by God to speak the words of God and that's what he's faithfully doing to the people that he loves regardless of his circumstance with the fact that he's imprisoned and chained to a Roman soldier nearly 24-7. So Paul is the author. He writes from prison and he wrote around AD 62. Now, so first is authorship, then you see the pattern and the recipients. And you notice that in the middle part of the last part of verse 1 it says, "...to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus." Now, Paul wrote to various churches in Asia Minor in Ephesus. So We're going to look back in Acts 19 and 20 in just a second. Excuse me. And what you'll see is more than likely this letter was not just written to the Christians in Ephesus. Paul's impact in Ephesus spread beyond into Asia Minor. And so this is a general letter that more than likely circulated through multiple churches in Asia Minor. It wasn't just specifically to the Ephesians. But Paul had planted these churches in Ephesus in Asia Minor in that area seven to eight years prior to writing this letter. And I wanted to give you some important facts about this region and about his recipients. First is this, Ephesus was a very large city. It was a busy port city, the fourth or fifth largest city in the world at the time. It had a massive amphitheater, and I know you Bryant Denny folks aren't impressed with this, held about 25,000 people. I mean, our, what, y'all's band's bigger than that, right? Held about 25,000 people, um, but Ephesus hosted many athletic events similar to the Olympics. It was at the junction of four major roads in Asia Minor, and there were many, many villages that surrounded it. The main point is this, is Ephesus was heavily populated in a very busy metropolis, a great place to plant the church. If, if you're into church planting or have ever studied much about church planting, what you'll find is that church planters often make their way to these type locations rather than Duncanville. Why? Not because Duncanville people don't need Jesus. But because in these busy metropolis areas, that's where the people are. And there's often more opportunity to spread beyond that area if you start in that area. But Ephesus was a large city, so those he's writing to are in this large city. Second, spiritual warfare was rampant. And, and so the, the size of the city alone would have been enough to overwhelm any missionary. I mean, it didn't seem to overwhelm Paul, he kind of hit the ground running. But even more than the size, there was tremendous spiritual warfare in Ephesus, and the city was known for many different forms of paganism. And there were uh, basically paganism, witchcraft. I mean, I mean, this stuff was everywhere. It was rampant. In fact, in, in Acts chapter 19, if you have your Bible, it might help you to turn there. In Acts 19, verses 9 through 10, and, and really Acts 19 and 20 is a great place to go read to get some background on the Ephesians. But I'm just going to give you a few little glimpses here. Acts 19, verses, starting in verse 9. But when, but when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannius. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And, and so where we pick up in 9 and 10 of Acts 19, Paul has been faithfully preaching the gospel. But if you notice there, 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 there's this stubborn and continued unbelief, and they speak evil of the way. And the way here, they're referencing the gospel. And so there's this growing hostility towards Paul. And so that sort of gives you a taste of kind of what the atmosphere was like. then if you jump down to verses 11, look at verses 11 through 20 of Acts 19. It says, "...and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus." (coughs) Over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of Jewish high priests named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled also many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. Listen to this. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. That was when all the Harry Potter books got burned up. And and, and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Verse 20, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And so consider the results of Paul's ministry here. I mean, there's massive numbers of people. There's massive amounts of paganism. And Paul is just faithfully proclaiming the gospel. And every time there's this opposition and it rises up, he just sort of moves on to the next house, moves on to the next place, and continues to faithfully proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in spite of the spiritual warfare that was rampant, it continued... To grow, and, and I think it's a quite dramatic account that culminates in the burning of books that more than likely contained spells and, I mean, other cultist practices. I mean, this is what we would call a spiritual awakening. But not everyone was thrilled with this movement. In fact, if you look down in verse 21 of Acts 19, and I, I'm not going to spend a whole lot more time here in Acts 19, but I want to kind of give you a taste of what Paul dealt with initially in Ephesus. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. Now don't let the way that's worded mess you up a little bit. I mean, like, like, so now there's a big disturbance concerning the way. Like as if this other stuff wasn't. Now there's a big disturbance. But notice, verse 24, For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, Artemis is the goddess of the day, brought no little business to the craftsmen. And so Demetrius, a silversmith, made shrines of the goddess of the day. And because of the gospel advancing, people aren't buying the shrines anymore. And so Demetrius is is upset. Now, he's not necessarily hostile to the gospel. He's hostile to the fact that nobody's buying his goods. Business is hurt. So watch what he does. Verse 25. These he gathered together with workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Arcticus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. In verse 31, And even some of the Ashiarchs who were friends of his sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Verse 32, Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. And so this created a massive eruption in Ephesus as they dragged Paul's companions into the amphitheater where they were all but killed, if you continue to read on through verse 41 of Acts 19. And then if you look in Acts chapter 20, verse 19, you see not only was it Demetrius and the silversmiths, not only was it some of the magicians and sorcerers of the day, but in Acts chapter 20, verse 19, you see Well, let's let's look at verse 18. It says, "And, and when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials that happened to me. Listen, through the plots of the Jews, the Jews, the silversmiths, the magicians, the sorcerers, People hate Paul. People hate those that are proclaiming the gospel, yet the gospel continued to advance. And, and I just want to paint this picture of, of, of how incredibly difficult of a place this would have been to minister. I mean, you almost couldn't blame Paul if he would have said at some point, Lord, I give up. Like, I, I, I just don't think I'm the guy the obstacles are too great for me. I I think you're going to have to find someone else. But why didn't he? I think it goes back to his introduction when he says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by God's will. Paul didn't quit because he realized that his strength to face the obstacles were in Provisions that were beyond him. They were in the power and promise of God's word in the power of God's will. Ephesians was planted in large part in birth during great opposition. And so those are who he was writing to. So we've seen the author, we've seen the recipients, and now we look at this official greeting to close our time in verse 2. It says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This, this greeting, Paul often opens his letters this way by saying grace to you or starting with the word grace. Friends, this is not Paul saying hello. This is Paul genuinely giving a prayer for grace to come to the Ephesians. And not just any grace, but particularly grace to come to them and peace to come to them from the Lord, or as he says it, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This letter would have been read aloud in corporate worship. And so as the believers gathered around Ephesus, probably not in all, in one large gathering, as this letter circulated, the very first thing these believers would have heard from this faithful pastor to them was this prayer that grace and peace would come to them from God their Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians is, as you will see, a majestic picture of Christ, It's a majestic picture of Jesus as the cosmic king of all. As you will see, Jesus Christ himself feels the mind of Paul. In fact, in Ephesians 6, if you want to flip there, listen to how Paul ends the letter. In Ephesians 6, 23 and 24. says, peace be to the brothers in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Reading the book of Ephesians is meant to increase our love for Jesus. These words were written to create in us a love for the gospel. They were written to deepen our understanding of the gospel. And I, for one, think it's remarkable as we have seen that Paul, in spite of all of the obstacles and all of the opposition, that he remained faithful and confident in the Lord's work. And think of it this way, friends, if Paul had not remained faithful and confident in the Lord's work and in the Lord's will, we wouldn't have this letter today. Now, of course, the Lord is is at the bottom of it all. He's at the top of it all. He's in the middle of it all. I'm, I'm not trying to put too much on on Paul, but what I want us to see is is how the Lord uses means of grace, and one of the means of grace are... Is, is the faithfulness of, of his people. And had Paul quit in the midst of heavy, heavy, heavy opposition, literally from everywhere that he could turn and look, we would not have this letter today. But Paul believed and knew, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that this letter was meant to do for God's people what only Ephesians could do for God's people. And that is to deepen our understanding of the gospel, increase our love for Jesus, and out of that to show us how to walk in faithful obedience as Paul did to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's why I think Paul's starting point is important. Maybe. Um, you know, I, I mean, you could argue you wouldn't want to start with verses one and two, but I think the starting point is, is vital, even though they seem just so generic and so general. Paul's starting point is important because as an apostle, he recognizes that it was not of his own doing. And so as Paul writes this letter with confidence and writes this letter knowing that the gospel is going to advance, that the church of Jesus Christ is going to build and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What he has before his own eyes is not the future. You want to know where Paul's confidence in the gospel lies? is because Paul understands more than anybody else how much distance there was between he and Christ. How opposed he was to Jesus Christ, that he was an actual, literal enemy of Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ saved him. And so as Paul thinks about his confidence in the gospel and his continued faithfulness to proclaim the gospel, he's not looking necessarily to the future. He's remembering what Christ had done for him. The greatest witness to Paul of the great power of the gospel was the gospel's claim on his own heart. Literally, on the road to Damascus, Paul was transferred from one universe to the other. And he wasn't looking for it. And so, Paul knew, because he was a living example, that life can be different. Change is possible. And that the Lord does what he does by his own will. He's not dependent on my will. He's not dependent on your will. He's not dependent on the will of the Ephesians. The Lord is dependent on his own will, and we are to be dependent on the Lord's will as well. And I believe this is exactly what gave Paul the confidence to plant these churches and to follow up with this letter and to follow up with the content of, of this letter with the hope and the desire to increase their love for Christ and increase their understanding of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. We'd like to thank you for listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church Tuscaloosa. If you have any questions or would like to know more about our church, you can visit our website at www.covchurchtusk.com or you can email info at covchurchtusk.com. God bless.